Evening Church, lovely to be here with you tonight. I had to come back from this morning because I lost my voice here towards the end. So I'm coming to find it now, so hopefully it will stay for the 30 minutes, you know, for our preaching. But it's lovely to be here with you again tonight. Before we start preaching, let's just pray. Father, we want to say thank you, just like we prayed now, for your word. Father, thank you that your word is eternal. And Father, thank you, Lord, that that we can draw life from your word, Lord. And Lord, as we, as we look in our lives, towards in, in our hearts, Lord, with the, with the lens of your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us tonight. And Lord, not just for tonight, but I really trust, Lord, that your word will work and live through us, Lord, and there will be eternal difference in our lives, but also in the lives of people around us. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been uh, just coming out of our read series, and uh, we were speaking about radical. And uh, did you enjoy the read series? Yes, yes. My one of my favorite times of the year, when we focus again on the on the nations, and God just comes and opens up our heart a little bit bigger than, you know, our small, you know, our world's just around us. And uh, so I, I, I said to Marinus, can I just preach one extra sermon into our radical uh, series? But I want to call it radical love. At first I thought, well, I'm going to call it radical affection. But if we look at the word affection and we think about the word love, you know, we can easily confuse them. You know, we can think both of them is love, but it is not. You know, it is like affection is that, that first little step of a young man will notice a young girl. Then, you know, there's something starting to happening there in his heart. There's a bit of affection that he's got. And hopefully, eventually, it will go from affection to love. But then that love that will lead to marriage We've got two years here. we got 30-something years here. So, uh, you know, it is that love that sticks forever and ever. So tonight we want to talk about a radical love. Now, I, I, when I thought about the series, you know, the preaching, I, I thought about uh, just a scenario of, you know, watching a movie. You, uh, you know, somebody will tell you about a movie and you so want to watch, go and watch the movie, and, uh, but they don't tell you what's the word. All they say is, you know, go watch that movie. You must watch that movie. You know, you're going to, you know, it's going to be, it's going to change your life. Uh, Wendy's sister is like that. You know, she tells you to go and watch a movie. And then after you've watched it, you think, why in the world did I even watch this thing? The end should never have been there. Who writes endings like that? You know, it's like a person, you know, they don't know about human feelings because how can that movie end like that? It should never have ended like that. Maybe a little bit closer. Maybe you've had a relationship and, you know, you poured yourself into that relationship. And all of a sudden that relationship just, just fell apart. And it was so difficult for you. It feels like, you know, somebody tore a piece of flesh out of your difficult, difficult time. Now, we, you know, you guys have just been through the book of Corinthians. 
Corinthians 1, and you were speaking about the messy church. And maybe that's the same way that Paul felt about the Corinthians church. You know, we, he looked at the Corinthian church and, you know, uh, and, and, and if he had to look back, uh, you know, over the history of the Corinthian church, maybe he would have said, it should never have gone where it was going. This messy church. It should never have ended like that. He had deep relationships there. And maybe in those deep relationships, you know, his heart felt for that church. At times when we read the Bible, you know, we think, well, it sounds so foreign. It's not for us. Then it is true because the Bible was never written for us. You know that, of course. Never written for us. It was written to us. But never, also it's never written to us, but it was written for us. Big difference. It was never written to us, but it was written for us. And the book of Corinthians was written to Paul writing to the Corinthians. But there are things out of the book of Corinthians that we can take for ourselves. And the question that we ask tonight, you know, is the life of Corinthians so different to the lives and the life and the challenges that we have got today? Is it so different? Last week you looked at a very familiar verse in Corinthians. And every time, you know, we've got missions, most probably we're reading this verse. Let's read together 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 20. Uh, you read it last week as well. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, and there are quite a few of these therefores in the book of Corinthians, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Can you hear that earnesty in Paul's words? He said, you know, I implore you, I, I ask of you so that you have the ministry of reconciliation. And, and when we speak about nations, yes, God has given us that ministry in our heart that we should go to people and help people to be reconciled to God. And then also, you know, he says that we are the ambassadors of God. But if you have got a big plate of food with different dishes on that plate of food, and you would just take one spoonful out of that plate, and maybe you got... That spoonful that you didn't like, I don't know what, you know, I eat everything. So <laughs> there are very few things that I don't like. Some people don't like what? Brussels sprouts. Those are good stuff, my friend. That's, that's good. Okay, let's go for the Brussels sprouts. And, you, and you've got that, and you taste that Brussels sprout. You say, this is a terrible plate of food, and you move it away. But you never got to the steak all of those other nice things that could have been on the plate. So one spoonful doesn't give you the full taste of what is on that plate. In the same way, if we read just these two verses, it's just a slither of what's happening actually in the book of Corinthians. Now remember now, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthian church. Um, he was actually 
Uh, you know, he started the church there in Corinth about 50 after Christ. Uh, most probably, you know, you, you did that when you did the message church. But just as the recap. So he went on his second missionary trip, went to Corinth. And there he started the church. He was there for about a year and a half. Then he left. But then he got some messages back. And said, Paul, something seriously is wrong there in the church of Corinth. So Paul wrote the first letter. And then we know that there were most probably more than just two letters to Corinth. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. So he wrote 1 Corinthians. And between 1 and 2 Corinthians, he went back in person. And the Bible says that was like, uh, you know, Paul writes it. He says it was like a sorrowful visit. Difficult. He had to speak very hard to the church of Corinth. Now, if we look at that, you know, we see that Paul mentions a few problems in 1 Corinthians that was there uh, in the church. And every time Paul looks at that problem, you, you know, he defined the problem through the lens of the gospel or the answer to the problem. You know, I, I'm not like that. You know, I will just go, if, if I see a problem, I will say, you know, that is the problem. The Lord has to slow me down sometimes. And Paul does it so beautifully. Every single time, you know, there's a problem. He says, let's put the gospel lens on and we get the answer of the problem for the, through the gospel. And there's a few problems, you know, that he saw there. First, they were divided. But when Paul speaks about the gospel to them, he says, the gospel brings unity with Christ and others. And then they gave themselves over to lustful sexual living. They had temples where you can actually go for sexual relationships. That's the life that they came out of. Paul says the gospel declares that Christ died for your sins and our sins are forgiven and our bodies will be resurrected and that what we do in our bodies matter to Christ. And then he's talking about food and idols and then he says, don't let your brother stumble by what you are eating. It must help him to come to the gospel. Don't make him stumble. He's speaking about disorderly fellowship. And then he says, the gospel gives us power to love others. And the last thing, they were ignorant and short-sighted about the resurrection. And he says, the gospel gives us victory over death. So every single time there was a challenge, Paul said, put some different lenses on. Look at the life around you with a different lens. First and foremost, look and see from what you were saved. Put that gospel lens on and see what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. Look with different eyes to your life. When we look at our relationships and our family and our community and our work and the lost, it seems, you know, that we need to put that lens on that Paul had when he spoke to the Corinthians. But, the, you know, the challenge about that is when they read the first, their first letter, they just saw that as mere good advice. And don't we do that? You know, we read the Bible because we feel it's a good thing to read the Bible. But is it a life-changing word to us or just mere good advice? And there's no real evidence that we see that the church of Corinth actually died. But Paul, every single time, encourages them. He says, come, Corinth, live a new life. Live a new, a new life 
because of the cruciform life of Christ. There should be a different lens that you look to life. Now we can sometimes say, you know, how can they be so blind? I mean, they, they, were, they were not saved. They, you know, they lived so far away from God and, and then they received the gospel and they changed. And, and we can look through, you know, now we've got the whole Bible and we can look through Genesis and we see time and time. I mean, Adam and Eve, how could Eve have been so stupid just to, sorry for the word, you know, to, uh, to have eaten that, that, that fruit. Uh, then we look at the life of, of, of the Israelites and say, you know, how can they be so dumb? You know, when are they going to learn their lesson? But if Paul had to write the letter to us tonight, what would he have said? What would be different? Are the case of this world so different than it was in the time of Corinth? I think Paul would still make the same appeal. And I think the letter of Corinthians is still for us as well. Despite our, despite our daily cares in this world, Paul will still say, live a life, exemplify the cruciform life of Christ. Now, Paul looked at their ravaging sin, you know, he knew what they came out of. And now he looks at how that sin is now ravaging the church again. And that self-love that people have got. And then he urges them again. No. There's more in life than what you are living for now. Your life has got a greater purpose. You should live for more. Now, we know that in the end, the church of Corinth just dissipated because of the divisions that persisted. It's as if, you know, the parable of, of Jesus and the weeds is so evident there in Corinth. And isn't that sad that the weeds would come and then eventually stifle that church to a non-existent place? There's no eternal message eventually that come other than what we can learn what Paul wrote. That is really for me, you know, the sad part. But Paul mentions four ways in which our radical love for Jesus should transform our lives. Because as we read the book of Corinth, of Corinthians to Corinth, then we need to learn something from that. And the first thing that Paul tells us, he says, live with eternity in mind. Listen to what he says to us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 and 10. He says, for we know that if the tent... That is, our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made of it with hands, eternal in the heavens. Verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so each, of us may, each, of, each one of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, you know, I, I love Paul's analogy there about a tent. If you had to pitch a tent outside there on the grass and you have to live in that tent, most probably the tent will last for maybe a year or two. But then after that, you know, then all the waterproofing will be off and eventually the sun will start burning it and it will all just burn to pieces because it's just a temporary thing. Paul says, this tent 
not going to last forever. Like last night when that end whistle blew, the score was 11, well, never going to change. Was it? 11-12, yeah. My first game I watched yesterday, so. 11-12. In all eternity, it's not going to change. That's the score. When our whistle blows, when eternity comes to an end, or for us, that's cool. Said, Paul says here to us, for we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says, lift up your eyes. Your life is far more than what you see. Whatever we do in our body, we have to answer for that. Now, why would Paul say that to us? Because our bodies doesn't belong to us. It's not ours. We are, we are created beings created by God. And God says, you know, He created us. So if He created us, that means that, you know, we belong to Him. And our loving Father loved us so much that He gave His Son, died on the cross, so that we can ever have everlasting. That's the price that was paid. We will not live for eternity. There are nobody that I've seen in the last while that's 200 or 300 or 400 years. The end whistle comes for us all. So whatever you value or decide or do or love is going to be your life's eternal echo. And may your life echo the life of other people. May your life echo people the second point there, he says, let, let, let not our old life dictate our actions. This verse is also in your one-to-one. -one. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. I love that verse. Therefore, there are quite a few therefores there. Now, every time they say therefore, then we must know that something happened before. And go and read the whole of 1 Corinthians, and now we're already in 2 Corinthians. All of the things that happened there, the, therefore, Christ died for us. Therefore, if, now if is a condition, isn't it? Therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, what is the opposite of in, is out. So we are the in or we are out. Tonight we must answer the question to ourselves, you know, where do we stand? Is it, are we in or we out? But what makes us being in Christ? Because if he says if we're in Christ, then we are a new creation. He says the old has passed away. It's not like Jesus came and, you know, and just changed uh, some parts, took the old parts, washed them a little bit and put them back here again. He says, no, it is not that. You are a new creation, a new mind. We should live, think, do differently. Because of the gospel in us, therefore, if condition. Are you in or are you out? And the only way that we can be in is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in, Paul lifts Christ and the gospel higher than their everyday life. As if he says to them, your life matters more putting the new glasses on, the new perspective on your life. Look to Christ. See what the gospel has done for you. Number three, he says to us, 
the grace we receive came at a high price. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1 and 2. He says, working together with him, that is Jesus, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The Bible says to us, we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. God showed us that grace when he gave Jesus to die on the cross. Yes, that is the one part. But the other part is, he says, let that grace that we, that we receive not be in vain. You know, it is as if we receive fresh grace every single morning. When you wake up and you've been in your quiet time and you're there before Jesus, it's like Jesus gives you, he like portions you grace for the day. You go and receive it in the morning. You go to him. Oh, Jesus, thank you for that grace. And then you take that grace and then you go and live through the day. But that grace that you receive, yes, is for you to live. But that grace is to be imparted to other people as well. To speak to people. You see needs. God, thank you for the grace that I can be graceful. And also share your grace for other people as well. By grace we've been saved. You receive grace. But now listen to what he says there. He says, let that grace not be in vain. When we receive our grace in the morning and we come back at night and, and we see, oh my goodness, you know, this grace bucket is still full. I've never even shared it with anybody today. Somewhere along the line, somebody missed out. I kept it for myself. Listen to what he says there. In a favorable, the favorable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you, Isaiah. It actually comes out of Isaiah 49, verse 8. So it is like the Lord Jesus Christ reminds us here. He says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you listened to us when we cried out in our sin and said, Lord, we need you. Jesus said, I listened to you. Then he says, and I helped you. What's the best way that Jesus can help us? Salvation. That's the best way. Without salvation, where will we be? We would not be sitting here tonight. I mean, it's because of Jesus that we are sitting here tonight. Then he says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Every single day we should live with that lens on our eyes. Number four, we live motivated by our love and thankfulness to Christ for our salvation. What is it that makes you get up in the morning? What is it that makes you serve Jesus? It can't be a set of moral laws. It can't be. Because we were saved from laws. We were saved from have-tos, have-tos, have-tos. To a place now where Jesus says, it was because of me. We're not under the law. Then we think, Lord Jesus, that salvation, you know, what I've been saved from. I, you know, if I think about my life and what Jesus saved me from, then this is so true to me. Because I, I remind myself often of what Jesus saved me from. And where would I have been? Most probably dead a few times already if I never received Christ at the age of 21. 
2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 to 50 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Now that is the ESV, NIV and a few other versions says, compels us. The love of Christ compels us. Now the best uh, picture that I've got for compelling is, you know, when you shoot a catty, uh, Americans don't know what catty is, they say it's a catapult, you know. So, but imagine now this massive big catapult that you can sit in and pe people will pull it back and then they will let go and then off you go. You know, you will have absolutely no, you know, say in the matter, you will fly because you've been released. It's just about the same picture that Paul tells us here. The love of Christ compels us. We cannot but be compelled forward into the world because of the love that we've received from Jesus. He says it controls us because we have concluded this, that, the, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So in other words, we are compelled not to live for ourselves. What does it look like every day if I wake up and I don't live for myself? That's your testimony. Our motivation for serving Christ should be motivated by a love filled but that deep, deep gratitude that we've been saved. Lord Jesus, thank you for my salvation. The grace that I've received, let me go and portion out that grace. But the question, you know, in conclusion is, just like Paul, Paul is asking these things to the church of Corinth. He says, but what keeps you so entangled in the world that it is as if there's no evidence of your life for Christ in the world and around you. Why is it that we know all the right answers? But it's not as if there's right living in our lives as well. Um, book of 2, you know, and then 2 Corinthians 6 verse 12. I, uh, I read that the other day and I was quite struck by that. I read just this verse because, you know, in our studies, I had to dog, read through the book of Corinthians a few times. But when I got to that verse, I thought, oh my goodness, I have never seen this. Listen to what it says. He says, you are not restricted by us. Remember Paul speaking to Corinthians? He says, you are not restricted to us, by us. In other words, when you are saved, it's as if there's no, there's no ceiling. We can grow in Christ, you know, to the greatest building for Christ. Evidence, you know, or being evident and, and, and relevant to the whole world. Because we build on that foundation of Christ and from there on the superstructure that God, you know, our spirit. He says, we have not restricted you. Why is it that there seems to be a restriction in your life when, it, when, when, your, when your faith is supposed to grow? The second part says there, but you are restricted by your own affections. That one just sink in for a second. Your own affections. In other words, Paul says here, there's something, some of your affections that is more important to you than your life for Christ. 
Now again, remember what we said in the beginning. What is affection? Affection is not even a real love. Affection is just these things that we like. He says, but these things that we like is so evident in our lives that it entangles us completely so that we are not what we should be in Christ Jesus. The question that we ask ourselves tonight, where is the gospel restricted in our affection in our lives? Because that is it. If we've got those restrictions, it means like it's that big sign, restricted area. Somewhere in our hearts, there's a restricted area where we say, Jesus, the gospel cannot go there. That's my restriction. Owned by me. Paul says, as long as it's that, he says, our affections will be restricted. And our radical love for Jesus is not there. Is it in our relationships? You know, relationships are defined by the worldly things today, whether it be man, woman, would it be what we do in, uh, in sex before marriage? Because that was the Corinthians. They said, you know, no, you can do whatever you want. Paul says, no. No, we can't do that. In our family, in our community, in our work, when we look at the lost, why is, why is there a restriction of, of living and seeing the lost safe? Paul ends his letter to Corinthians by saying, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, he says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Not whether you have faith, whether you are in faith. Because there's a difference of being in faith and have faith. The devil has faith. Yes, he has. He knows he's going to hell. He knows that. But in faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet this test. Paul says today, test yourself. Tonight we have to answer that test, not to us, not to me. But you know where your heart is. What is that restriction that you still have in your heart? Maybe the clicking fingers images on your, on your, in your um, uh, computer. Maybe it's just unforgiveness. Is there that still restricting you? It's only when Jesus is my Lord and the gospel is applied and lived to our lives that we will see transformation. So the questions that we need to ask tonight for me to know that Jesus is my greatest love. First and foremost, Paul was quite blunt to ask the Corinthians, are you then saved? Are you saved? Are you in Christ? If you've given your life to Jesus, if you're sitting here tonight, if you cannot say a resounding yes, then I want to say to you, don't leave this building because you don't know when the, your last whistle will blow. You will not. I know I'm over time, but at least just this quick story. I shared the gospel once with a young man. <clears throat> I, uh, and when we lived in Botswana, I was, you know, when you drive, there's a lot of people next to the road. So then I picked them up, and then they're in the hot seat next to me. 
I used to call that dart seat. And one of my other friends, Tirello, was with me. So we picked up a young man. And uh, so now we're driving. And I forgot his name. So I, sh I shared, ask him about his life, ask him if he's saved. And um, he said, no, he's not saved. So I shared the gospel with him. And uh, so when I had to drop him, uh, he, I said, do you want to receive Jesus? And he says, ready yet. It was the other Thursday. So that Monday, here comes Terrello to me, <clears throat> and he said to me, Harry, you will not believe it. He says, Saturday morning, very early, this young man with three other men in a car, under a truck, all four dead. So you think, Lord, shouldn't have I asked you, just one more time, just one more time, because we don't know and you don't know. Are you saved? Do you know that? Are you in Christ? What sin, what sin is there that you still love more than Jesus? Because just like, just like God and thought that they can work it out for themselves, eventually their divisions just imploded that church. The weeds came, suffocated them. Let's not play with sin. Let's make business with sin. Let's make sure that tonight we sort that out before Jesus. Are people's lives changing around you because they see his love, Jesus' love in your life? And that's most probably the best test in our lives. Are people getting saved around us? Yes or no? I want to pray now. If you're not saved, I want you just to lift your hand up and we want to pray for you. And leave the building. Then I just want to pray and ask that you do business with Jesus to see this sin barrier that you still are now, just like Corinth did. And if your life start dishing out grace every day, ask Jesus now. Spend time with him. Ask him for that grace. Lord Jesus, tonight we want to say thank you for your word. I'm going to say thank you, Lord. Your word is eternal. And we read Paul's letter to Corinth, Lord, and that earnesty that he had for them. Unfortunately, Lord, we, we know the end of the story is that they saw it as good advice and not eternal plan for their lives. And I pray, Lord, this tonight that if there's any person that has not received Christ, and you want to just Put your hand up quickly. We pray for you. Lord, then I want to pray now, and I want to ask, Lord, if we examine our lives and we see that there's still a barrier, Lord, an ungodly affection, I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you will come and remove that in our lives. Lord, I pray that as you Give us grace, daily grace, Lord, that it will not be in vain, that we'll use it, Lord Jesus, to measure it out into the lives of people by, by sharing the gospel, living the gospel, motivated, Lord, by your love that you have for us. Thank you, Lord. Now, do we want to break bread? So, 
when we break bread, this is, you know, amazing that Paul wrote yeah, in the book of Corinthians, of course, you know, they were getting drunk while they were busy breaking bread. Imagine that. I mean, that is uh, in that meal where they came and they honored Jesus. All of these things happen. You think about, you know, just that absolute need that they had for Christ in their lives. So Paul writes to them, he says, no Corinthians, let me tell you the importance of breaking of bread. What is it when we break bread? He says to them in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. So tonight we, re we remember that. Just like Paul would have reminded the Corinthians, and like we were reminded tonight, that that what we do in our bodies matter because Jesus' body was broken for us at us. This is my body, which is for you. Greatest gift. I when we break bread. Say, Jesus, thank you for that. Church, you know, there's no other faith that celebrates this. You know that. At breaking of bread. Because nobody else has Jesus as they say. We celebrate that tonight. Then he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Oh, Jesus. Thank you daily, daily, daily that I can remember what you've done for me. Verse 25, he says, in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. All covenant, you have to, have to, have to, have to. Jesus says, It's all done. The new covenant. But that new covenant came at a price, the highest price. He said to you, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me, Jesus. Thank you for my sins that was forgiven because of your blood on the cross. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let our lives live not in vain by the grace that Jesus shows us, but let our lives proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes every day as we live for him some bread and juice on the side so we're going to pray now you can go and take bread share it with a friend why don't you just pray together say lord these things thank you for the bread thank you for the cup but lord in remembrance mean that is a daily remembrance help me just pray together maybe there's something that you would want to ask your friend keep me accountable for this thing so that the grace that I receive every single day is not in vain. Amen. Jesus, we say thank you for the bread. We say thank you for the cup. Thank you, Lord, that it is 
Lord, your body given to us. And tonight, Lord, we want to declare, Lord, that we would not want to live and have that grace in vain. But Lord, our radical love for you, Lord, will be a showcase to people around us. They will get saved because of our lives. We say thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.